0: Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast. News, reviews, and resources for ITAM, SAM, and software licensing professionals.
1: Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast. My name is Martin Thompson, I'm a research analyst here at the ITM Review, and this is episode 21. So the podcast is coming of age, we've reached 21 episodes. Today on the podcast I have Patrick Dickinson, Uh, Patrick is a senior consultant at a company called Secure Integration, who are based in Cologne in Germany, and I've invited Patrick along to share his views on all things SAP, so we're digging into uh, SAP today. So, without further ado welcome Patrick could you tell us a bit about secure integration and uh, a bit about the company and perhaps a bit about your background too
0: hi Martin thank you very much for having me on the call today Um, yes so secure integration is a german uh, sap expert company and um, basically what we do is uh, we help our customers with their SAP software licensing, uh, namely optimizing their environment. Uh, We started doing this in 2009. However, the company uh, has been in existence since 2001, and hence the name Secure Integration. Um, We have a long-standing background in uh, security management for SAP systems. And we still do that. We still have uh, uh, quite a few consultants who are based at uh, large customers who don't really come into the office. But um, our focus has heavily shifted towards the uh, license management part of things. And uh, we've developed a, a tool um, called SLC. And um, yeah, we've, uh, we've decided to, to join forces with Aspera. And uh, as of next month, even, the name secure integration will disappear, and we will uh, be Aspera as of then. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, so if
1: so I if my... I if I'm brand new to SAP, because because our ITAM review mm-hmm. readers are primarily software asset managers, IT asset managers, and software licensing people, so um, I see as SAP people as their own world. You know, it's it's usually a big strategic <laughs> purchase for the company because you're going to underpin everything with yeah. SAP, and there's going to be a team dedicated to SAP. So. I'm interested in your perspective of how you talk with customers because do you talk? Do you sell SLC and do you implement to the SAP team or to the ITAM
0: team? How does that work? It depends, literally. Um, usually it is the SAP team of, of an ITAM team, um, yes, or the SAP expert. Uh, however, it, it does tend to be, um, somebody more high up who takes a managerial decision to uh, either reduce costs or to to, to get more transparency in, in terms of uh, what's been used uh, software wise um, and for SAP that's not always quite easy to do so yes there is the main focus of uh, cost reduction of managing your licenses, of really knowing what you use in your environment much like with with any other of the big mega vendors so um yeah but it is usually the the sap experts we talk with yeah
1: and my primitive understanding of sap is that uh, there's two main categories of license types so you've got users and you've got um special metrics i think they're called um uh is it packages or uh, I think you mean engines. Engines, yes. Thank you. So, so for the yeah, users, yeah, it's a no case problem. of optimizing the, you know, as you as you would with Microsoft Office, you want less copies of professional and more copies of standard because then you pay less, and it's the same with SAP users. And then you've got metrics. It is, which, it's comparable, yes. And and then you've got the metrics which is based on something like might be barrels of oil or number of invoices cut or some sort of bespoke metric. Is that oversimplifying? Is is a what are the key things to look at when you're looking at SAP licensing? Do you think?
0: Right, it's pretty much down, down, down that line. So yes, the the main focus should be on your user management. So with users, you have different license types, so-called uh, professional user types, limited professional user, which is being outfaced at the moment. Uh, worker licenses, developer licenses, all these kind of different licenses, and um, they are uh, they have different costs involved. So the professional license is is very expensive, for example, but you can also have um, decently priced uh, user licenses. For example, the worker license uh, or the employee license, which is, uh, they they are limited in their functionality within the SAP environment. So as long as you know what your users are going to do within your environment and um, what the effort is going to be to analyze what they're really using, then uh, you can really tell how much licenses uh, you need from a specific type and how much you should be licensing uh, towards SAP. So yeah, from, from a user perspective, it's uh, per, per named user, and the engines is a very tricky to- uh, topic because SAP themselves, they don't really support the customers in any sort of way. Um, it's very hard to measure. Um, all SAP engines. You have certain engines. You have to so-called self-declared uh, license types. So you tell SAP how much you've been using, and they simply believe you. Um, and it's it's a it's a situation of trust, right. which often is is a source of of negotiational issues. To be honest.
1: <laughs> yeah. So if I play devil's advocate here. Um, yeah. Why? Why do I need to um, invest in something like SLC or another SAP management tool? Can't I just drop these users into Excel and do a bit of crunching and work out who would be who needs shifting onto the right user type? But it seems a bit like overkill.
0: Well, um, I can see your point there. However, uh, if you really want to do this manually, uh, if you want to put the, the manual effort in, um, it's going to Spiral out of control very quickly because you've got environments, uh, say 200, 300 Euros, uh, users even, um, that become unmanageable because of the size. So the more users you have, uh, the, the less manageable it becomes from a from a from a manual perspective. Um, for example, have you've, you've got an employee changing departments, uh, changing his role or or their role within a department, maybe leaving the company, you've got employees coming in so you've got a constant uh, shift going on in your user environment and you need to track that. You really need to know what's going on, uh, which licenses are being, or which users are being created, which licenses you should have in stock uh, to cover those uh, user demands and all those kind of things. So it is a massive manual effort, uh, and it literally just becomes a bit uh, uncontrollable at a, at a certain point.
1: Right. And one of the things I liked, we did a review of SAP tools uh, a little while ago, and one of the things I liked about mm-hmm. these tools is um, if you were doing Microsoft, let's, let's do, use the comparison with users with Microsoft again, is you have standard yep. and professional, and let's say that you identified a thousand people that could have been on standard rather than professional and therefore you can show an ROI for that exercise. Uh, you then have mm-hmm. to go into SECM or A and other tool to actually uninstall professional and it reinstall standard. Whereas with SAP, yep. m- it's my understanding that you can say, right, I've identified all these users to shift and then you can immediately execute them within SAP itself. Is that right? This is
0: true. Uh, you can redefine the license type of that specific user. So you can say, this is not a developer user anymore. It is now a worker user. And uh, thereby, you are reducing the functionality of that uh, user account, and also um, you automatically have uh, a different license allocated to it. Um, So whenever SAP decides to to come and and visit you and and do a check, do an audit. which they don't usually do, uh, as, as a side note, um, they, they ask you to do it yourself, you then report on your current situation. And if your current situation is such that you've got 50 developers and 200 worker licenses instead of 200 uh, developer users and uh, 300 worker licenses, then that's fine. Um, because you've reduced your amount of licenses according to the actual usage. Uh, I think. I hope I made that clear enough.
1: Yeah, yeah, not so,
0: quite.
1: <laughs> so, um, for um, and for this reason, I think when you're looking, especially when you're looking at data center licensing, I think SAP is almost hmm. low hanging fruit because you can you can implement so quickly, can't you? I think it's it's one to look
0: at first. It, certainly, the the user consolidation is is a topic everybody can look at and should look at. Um, there are certain. Uh, Trips, you can, you can trip over. Um, SAP is not very forthcoming with, with definitions on what a user type uh, may or may not do. So, uh, in actual fact, often it's a negotiational thing you have to discuss with SAP. So, it says in your contract what's your specific license type, uh, maybe the professional user or whatever. Uh, what they are really allowed to do in terms of so-called tra- transactions that's how the internal SAP technology works so you may have the same license type but you're allowed to do all sorts of different things than say your rival company or uh, your neighbors uh, across across the road. so it's, it's not as straightforward as you might think
1: yeah and one we've come across mm-hmm. this with the campaign clear licensing as well and the sort of basic advice there is um Either refer to a public domain document that states the license metric, or get it written into the stu- into the contract itself, or don't do it. Basically. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, if absolutely, if you if you are sh- harvesting all these, let's say, you know, we're shifting user types based on genuine usage. You know, we genuinely, genuinely, and legally don't need these higher profile users. We're going to shift them down to a lower user, and we're going to execute that using uh, SLC, for example what mm-hmm. is there yeah. any constraints to that you know for example you can again if we use Microsoft as an example there's the 90 day rule with Microsoft you can do certain things as long as it within 90 days you're not taking the mickey uh, is there similar constraints with SAP how often can you do this
0: um, there are there are um, no time constraints on how many times uh, you may do a consolidation a user consolidation um, However, there are certain things you have to consider when you're doing a, a consolidation. And th- th- there are two main factors here. One is that SAP also has a 90-day rule which uh, says that only usage within the last 90 days is licensable. If you have an account that hasn't logged in to SAP within the last 90 days, it is not licensable. So uh, it, you, c- you can ignore those accounts immediately. So it's really important to measure and to, to to highlight the accounts that have not seen any usage within 90 days. So that's, that's one key aspect. The other key aspect is there are five main types of uh, user interactions within uh, SAP. Four of them are system-based, and one is so-called dialogue user type. And uh, you only have to license the, the dialogue users. So that's a further aspect uh, you should consider and um, yeah, so it's, you can reduce the amount of licenses uh, you have to pay towards SAP considerably only by looking at those two aspects. Uh, not always does SAP help you with reducing your license costs. I mean, clearly, they don't have any incentive to do so. Um, they provide you with, with an audit tool uh, called the LAW or law, uh, which helps you to analyze their uh, your SAP environment. However, it's, it's, it's not really uh, any, anything we're talking about. It's, it's quite crude in the uh, user consolidation. And sometimes it doesn't consider these so-called technical accounts um, where you don't have to pay any licenses and uh, still counts them as viable licenses. So it's always better and always advisable to double check the numbers uh, you get from your audit tool from the SAP.
1: So what's it like from an end-user perspective in terms of, because it's all very well me saying uh, let's shift all these users to different user types and save money, but when I'm coming as an end-user, as I'm coming to log in and my profile Mm -hmm. has changed, is that not quite, I mean, obviously, if you haven't logged in for 90 days and you're removing that user, or they haven't logged in for two Mm -hmm. years and you're removing them, that's not an issue. But for the users that they do have a shift in, user type, are they even going to notice, are they, are they, what's what's the end user impact likely to be for these sorts of changes?
0: Usually they're not going to notice because um, the functionalities those users are um, using so far still is available to them and uh, as soon as they then start using other functionalities um, their license type just has to, has to increase. So you don't really have a hard block within the SAP system itself if you don't uh, want that to happen? I think you you can you can set those kind of things yourself if you want to have hard blocks uh, in terms of functionality. But it's not something SAP does automatically, and it makes sense for, for them not to give you hard blocks because they want your your accounts to use as many functionalities as possible for you to incur high license costs. Clearly, um, so what what is done is that basically uh, the the account. Is written to a lower type of license, and uh, it's, it's basically linked to your usage, which kind of transactions you use. And uh, as soon as as soon as that account starts using different uh, types of licenses, um, uh, transactions. Sorry, um, you should then allocate a different license type to that account. And That's another reason why you have to have a continuous and, and uh, automated way of reviewing your environment, because those right, so, so kind of changes you will miss otherwise.
1: Yeah, how, so how often, for, for your existing customers, how often are they doing this exercise, y- yes it's continuous and it's automated, but surely they must have to sort of do some sort of reconciliation every half year, quarter, two years, whatever they decide to do, what's, what's, what would you recommend in terms of best practice around this?
0: Our recommendation would be once a week. Um, wow. it's, it's, it's quite crucial to to, to keep uh, a close look on this, and usually our customers do go for once a week or once a month cycles. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, because it's automated and because it's tool based. Uh, it's, it's it's low effort. The self declaration, as in the self audit part uh, that is written in your contract is uh, a lot of manual labor, uh, lots of lots of uh, work you have to do if you don't do it uh, tool-supported, and yes, then clearly it becomes unviable to do it once a week, once a month, something like that. If, uh, at best, if you do it manually, you can do it twice a year, maximum, that's, that's, that's my experience. But um, yeah, once a week to, to, to keep clear transparency over your environment, over your user accounts, over your engines, and indirect access as well, clearly.
1: So by once a week, you mean you'll set SLC up to check and reconcile and automate the shift of users once a week, and it's a set it and forget it. You're not actually physically having to do the reconciliation every week.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, the, the process is such that you do it once or twice uh, yourself uh, at the beginning. Uh, you set SLC exactly the way you want it, and you can tweak it whenever you want it should you have certain changes you want to implement, um, but usually uh, what happens is that you've got a pretty clear defined process uh, which is then mirrored in the tool. Uh, there is a very specific place where you can set the, the different uh, steps you want to uh, be done by, that you want the tool to, to do for you um, during the measurement and then uh, you can even set the, the tool to uh, write back to your SAP environment. So you, uh, if you found the settings you really love and you really want, then uh, it, it automatically writes back into SAP to, uh, to, to take the optimization uh, simulated in the tool and implement it in, in your environment. It can also trigger the LAW, the, the law measurement, so that you always have the, the latest uh, data uh, that SAP would draw from your environment uh, available according to your, your most recent optimization. And once more, uh, there the tool also allows you to read that data from the LAW, which is otherwise quite tricky, and you need real, real experts uh, to do that. So you can, you can read in the clear what that uh, report says. So you can double before you send it to SAP what you're reporting to SAP. And that's, that's massive. That's really crucial.
1: So we've covered um, users and optimising those, mm-hmm. and I think most people who have done licensing will sort of grasp that it's a fairly, fairly straightforward concept. But then you've got the concepts of specific business metrics or engines that have been um, built with with um, other metrics in mind. So what what do you bring to the table yeah. there, and what things should people consider when they're looking
0: at those? Right. Um, so. What people should consider is is two things. One is, which engines do I use that I can measure? Which engines do I use that I cannot measure? Uh, Those are the two main aspects. Um, The ones that you can measure, use a tool, because otherwise it's not possible to to measure them. And don't rely on the law uh, results, because it's been proven, certainly for the LAW2, uh, that Specifically for engines, the results aren't always correct. SAP is working on that. We've had confirmation that LAW2 is currently not always correct, uh, to, to phrase it that way. <laughs> and um, yeah, so what you do is um, you you take the metrics you have in your contract. Um, you use SLC to analyse those engines, and there are certain points you have to double check with your contract and with the metrics given by SAP um, to make sure that you're licensed correctly for that. There's not too much optimization potential as such with engines. However, there's a lot of uh, room for you to go wrong. So uh, what you have to do is you really have to measure them correctly. And for the ones you cannot measure, which is something like 60 70% of, of the engines usually, um, can use SLC to document that correctly. So you've got an area where you can do this self-declaration information input and um, really allocate the engines according to your self-declaration and in, in well accordance to your contract. So you've got the entire view of your engine environment which you can then also report back to SAP with the LAW which is a, be- a big ben- benefit it saves you a lot of manual labour.
1: Yeah. What percentage of risk or fi- or financial impact is engines versus user profiles? I mean, what is it? Engines are only five percent of risk and five percent of revenue. What should should I just focus on users, for now and look at engines later, or
0: what? What would you recommend? No, um, you should definitely look at at all aspects. Zap uh, licensing includes. So it's it's definitely user-based licensing, definitely engines. You should look at indirect access. You should look at at database technologies, HANA, uh, all those kind of things. Everything is relevant. Um, In terms of percentage for revenue, um, it depends on the business you're in. So for example, if you're in the banking industry, in the finance world, you will have a lot of engines, uh, probably 80% compared to 20% uh, users, something like that, in, in terms of licensing. If you're in manufacturing, it's probably completely the opposite. You have probably about 80% of your licensing are user licenses and only 20% are engines because you need uh, a license for all your workers and so on. So, um, So that's... If I'm looking
1: to to get my arms around how big an issue it is, I can go to my previous hmm. renewals, I I imagine, and identify the split there.
0: Yes, exactly, but um, yeah, th- th- that's, that's only a split between how much uh, licensing you have uh, per, per individual topic. I mean, the, the, the big issue is how much uh, increase do you see in your user base, how much fluctuation do you see in your user base, and how many engines will you be in- introducing into your in- environment in future, and have you covered indirect access, yes or no, right.
1: So let's cover indirect access because this is one thing I hear sure. uh, in particular at our events last year. Um, mm-hmm. That the Mark Bartrick from Forrester was saying that it's a bit of a cash cow for SAP audits because it's a it's a you know it's a, it's it's an area of exposure for a lot of companies. And for those of you that of are, not f- are not familiar with indirect access, in my understanding is that, uh, and this is again we use Microsoft an example again is if you've got SQL Server and you know millions of people can hit that sql server via an internet connection somehow then microsoft are saying well hang on uh you're benefiting from from our ip here we want to we want a cut of the action and it's similar for sap my understanding is if you have a customer facing app on a mobile phone for example that it somehow is drilling into sap data they want ac- they want a fee for that indirect access is that a, is that a although primitive is that a good understanding of the subject do you think
0: or or i am, am, am missing something there no, no, that's, that's pretty much it. Um, what SAP does is they group into uh, indirect access per application. So they, they, they look at different applications which are not SAP published, applications that access uh, SAP managed data uh, within a ZAP environment or um, even write into a uh, ZAP environment. So those are the two interactions you see uh, that are indirect access uh, so any third-party application that reads data from your SAP environment and any any application that writes into it
1: yeah um, I guess my my question to you is um, a lot of companies that we speak to especially around the data center they don't necessarily have a perfect visibility of what's going on and sometimes sure. if, you take, if you take it to the most crude extreme then it's, well, let's unplug this server and wait for somebody to scream because then we'll figure out what it's used for. So Mm. knowing, I I would have thought the first challenge was, where is the indirect access? How do I know? I mean, is that obvious? Can you go into SAP and it will tell you, you know, these are the indirect access points to SAP data? Or how, how do you go about finding out exactly
0: what my scope and what my risk is? You need to know where to look, and it's very deeply hidden within the tables within SAP. So you need um, well, expert knowledge to, to find out which applications may or may not uh, incur uh, indirect access as such, uh, where SAP then says, this application we believe is indirect access, and you should uh, therefore license it accordingly. Um, SAP has not really uh, published a, a comprehensive list of, of which applications they declare as indirect access. However, there have been lists published through SAP uh, of applications that they have already in audit situations uh, declared as indirect access. So it's, it's, it's very gray. It's, it's very murky at the moment. Uh, you, you can't be 100 percent sure. What you can say is that most Applications you've written for yourself, as in self-developed software, is indirect access, and uh, the same applies to most applications you have purchased uh, with SAP specifically in mind. Um, there are millions of applications out there that are specifically designed to do something with your Zap data. Literally, all of those uh, will have some kind of indirect access, uh, well, risk involved uh, because of the the topic only being introduced early last year uh, to the auditing environment as such if, if you want to call it that way
1: sure so final question yeah. for you and this this is um, what we're seeing in the market is some of the large vendors are trying to transition themselves over to cloud models so we see it mm-hmm. with especially with Oracle we see it with Microsoft and we're seeing it with SAP and if mm-hmm. if you let's say that you're spending a million dollars per year with SAP, AP just for argument's sake and then you do this optimization and uh, you reduce the number of users legitimately and legally and then you work out that you can actually pay less to SAP they're gonna rock up, they're gonna come up to their, their account manager to say I'm expecting a million dollars out of your account and we need to fill that gap so you need to spend it on something else and one of those yes. ways is pushing it to the cloud and is, is SAP doing that? Are they pushing people to, to HANA? I would have thought from what I'm seeing in the press at least, that people are actually gi- legitimately moving over to HANA and it, it, is there any risk in terms of
0: licensing around that? Yes, um, HANA is is quite risky to be honest uh, if you don't know what you're doing um, with with anything in life <laughs> essentially. But. Uh, well What SAP does is, yes, like uh, the other mega vendors, uh, they are pushing their customers into the cloud uh, with incentives, with, with specific uh, reduced purchase costs and all those kind of things. So they are offering a decent cloud service, uh, that's for sure. It, it's a good technology. And it's worth the effort c- uh, to, to consider moving into that cloud environment. However, do bear in mind that SAP is currently taking a revenue hit because of their their cloud environment, and it's not going to be as cheap as it is uh, for for the foreseeable future. It's it's definitely going to see some ramp up. Other uh, license metrics will be uh, made obsolete, so not supported anymore, and at some point you will be forced into the cloud, uh, which means if if, if you don't know what you're using, what your, your actual interaction with with the cloud environment. if you if you don't manage your environment, uh, you, you you can't discuss with SAP because they will always have the upper hand in negotiations. They know what you will be doing, and you can't counter that. So you need to know exactly where your 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 data is going, what you're doing in the cloud, and then it's worth looking at. Um, but I guess, rest assured, it's, v- it's not going to stay as cheap as it is.
1: I guess it's very similar to. Uh, it reminds me of. Um, Uh, Microsoft Map, or SCCM, or ILMT from IBM, or LMS scripts from Oracle, all of it is collecting Mm. masses of data uh, on your environment, technical configuration data, which then they interpret, you can't interpret it yourself, and then they will build you a deal. To move you to the cloud based on that data, isn't it? It's, absolutely, so absolutely. It's, it's, That's why
0: it's so important uh, to be able to read the LOW reports, which uh, SLC offers you as one of the the, the core and uh, very standard functionalities we have in our in our tool.
1: Yeah, yeah, getting one yeah. step ahead. Okay, well, thank you, Patrick. I found that very interesting, and um, thank you very much, Martin. Good, good luck with your new life under the Aspera umbrella, and. Um, Thank, you. Uh, if, thank if, you, it's been good so far So thank you for joining the call and if any readers uh, have any questions around SCP, please drop into our forum uh, which you can do so anonymously if required and we'll be happy to try and find somebody that can answer your questions around SAP So with that, thank you very much and uh, until next time, thanks for listening